Welcome to Cornerstone Radio with Pastor John, Pastor Ed, and Blaine Nurse, where they encourage you to think big and act bigger. Along with your help, Cornerstone Transitional Housing is here to break the cycle of homelessness in the greater San Diego area, restore hope, and help men and women regain control of their lives. As long as poverty, injustice, and inequality persist, none of us can truly rest. Now, here are your hosts of Cornerstone Radio, Pastor John, Pastor Ed, and Blaine Nurse on K-Praise. Good evening and welcome to Cornerstone Radio. My name is Pastor John Simon. I'm along with uh, Blaine Nurse. He's the treasurer from Cornerstone Transitional Housing. And I'm and Ed, Pastor Ed Brody will not be with us tonight. He has gone on vacation, so he'll be back with us next week. If this is your first time joining us at Cornerstone Radio, our mission is to break the cycle of homelessness and to help men and women regain control of their lives. I want to start off tonight, Blaine. I want to start off with uh, a scripture, and this has been put on my heart. Scripture is going to be in Isaiah 61, verse 1. I'm going to read out of the NIV. It says, The Spirit of the Solomon Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent to me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. I just want that to stick to the audience right now, because I am so excited to have back a day with Ryan. Uh, he's a public defender in the courts. And Ryan, welcome back to the show. Great. Thank, thanks for having me, Pastor John. And I just want to say thank you to your audience for caring enough to listen to what I have to say and for tuning into this program. I appreciate that they are willing to learn more. They want to learn more. And I'm just hope that I can provide some insight based on my personal experiences doing the unique job that I do. And I just want to remind everybody, I, I do not speak for my office. Um, there's only one person who does that, and he is not me. I don't speak for the County of San Diego. What you're going to hear are just my individual thoughts and opinions, and I'm anxious to share them with you, and I hope we all can learn something. Thanks, John. Well, thank you, Ryan. Um, I don't know about you, Blaine, but I'm excited to have Ryan back with us. You know, Ryan, I know that we were talking over uh, last week about how the process of the courts worked and, you know, and what you see in that. And um, and there's some questions that um, that wasn't answered before. And I'd like to kind of start off with one. I know some of the viewers out there kind of wanted to say something. So if you don't mind, can I just read you some of them? Oh, yeah, p- please do. Okay. It says uh, one was says, why do the courts find the homeless and give them drug schools or programs knowing that they're homeless and that they'll have a hard time getting back and forth that it's a fair question and i'll tell you i think the the answer to it lies with the legislature because the law requires and prescribes certain conditions or certain punishments based on a criminal conviction and there and sometimes treatment is mandatory sometimes treatment is taken as an alternative to traditional prosecution um, i would i don't want to speak for the courts but i would believe the answer is something to the effect of you know, they don't have a choice. If the law requires that a person do a program or complete a, an eight-hour anti-theft course or 40 hours of volunteer work service, then there's a, there's a lack of discretion with the court. Um, and I think that dealing with that in the legislature is probably the most appropriate venue. Our system of government and the separation of powers, we in the judicial branch interpret the laws and the legislature makes them. So our hands sometimes are tied on what we're allowed to do or can do because it we all must follow the law and it's gets complex when it comes to fines and programs because there is some case law out there that suggests judges can delete fines and fees 
and a lot of judges do knock those down. And some judges read into the law that there are certain mandatory fines and fees that they have to impose regardless. So they will reduce, you know, the fines could, let's say, for a misdemeanor range, DUIs excluding, but let's say between one and a thousand dollars. Well, they will reduce those fines down to the smallest as they can get them. But to the listener's question, there still is a fine there and it's imposed maybe because the judge feels they have to impose something. And I I just want to take this one small moment while we're talking about fines to segue as to what this means long term for the homeless, particularly. So a home, let's say an individual struggling with shelter has picked up a criminal conviction and they've either pled guilty, lost at trial and they've been sentenced. The court imposes some finer fee. Let's say it's the minimum. Let's just assume it's seventy dollars. This person cannot pay it and will often lose track of the fact that they owe this money. Real world experience has shown me that at some point in time, should this person go, you know, get on about their life, maybe they have family in Oregon, they have family in Northern California. I had a gentleman call me who was now out of San Diego County who had put his life together. He was working multiple jobs. And at this point in time is when the franchise tax board catches up with him. Because those fines and fees that he'd forgot about now went to collections. So he finally has a job. He has a place to live. Things are going good. I mean, this this particular guy had been on the street about eight years. Um, but he was a younger fella, so he had time to, like, turn it around and reinvent himself. Now, a couple of months into this job, his paycheck's a third less. And he's looking at, like, what is going on? Well, those fines had gone to collections. He didn't even remember he had them. You know, some case he pled to in San Diego County, who knows when. Well, that eventually caught up to him. And so now he went from being able to sort of climb the rungs back into re-entry into your sort of your, your sort of normal rung into society where you're part of the fray, you know, where and now he's looking at losing his house again. He's like, man, I'm going to have to go back to living in my car. Like, I, I don't think I can pay my rent anymore. And there's nothing that we can do on the court side once they're once those fines have gone to collections. That's it. So they've they've increased in value because now there's been penalties added for not paying. And they just go after your wages. And so that's how I've seen it play out. You know, Ryan, I know that we, when we're out there working with the homeless, um, a few of them will come up and ask me, hey, John, I need some help in the courts. And um, I'll ask them, you know, um, about the collections, if collections have already been involved, especially with fines. And that's one thing I noticed that our hands are tied once it gets in collections, what you're saying. Is, is that true or is there any other way that they can go about this? I mean <laughs> – no, I run into this quite a bit. Um, most people, even even uh, individuals who might not be struggling with housing issues, where, I mean, the cost of living in San Diego is so high that even a modest fine can be, you know, detrimental. I mean, it could be the, could be the um, difference between doing that program you were supposed to do or paying the court fine. And most people will choose to do the program, and that's what I would advise them to do. Because the unfortunate reality is, like, you could convert not, – not, not every judge would necessarily do this, but let's just assume for our conversation, you could convert a fine to volunteer work service. The problem with that is is they will never put you in jail for not paying your fine, right? It's just we just don't do that. There's no debtor's prisons. That's not a thing. They would – they're going to trash your credit over it. Mm-hmm. You're going to be dealing in – you're going to be in the situation my particular client found himself in down the road if you ever do get your life in order. Um, but if you convert it to volunteer work service and then don't do it, forget, lose track of it, don't do all of it, they a hundred percent will put you in jail over that. 
So it's sort of a deal with the devil on converting fines to volunteer work. Also, if you're spending your day moving between um, survival event to survival event, where is my next meal coming from? Did my you know EBT card come? Can I get down to this place where I get my mail? Hey, have I ran into Pastor John? I was talking to him. Maybe he's got some help for me. When you're moving between these events, it's easy to lose track of, hey, I'm a 39-year-old homeless individual. Where can I find a place to do volunteer work? Because you can imagine there's not a whole lot of opportunities for those. Not to say they don't exist, but it's tough. Um, it would be different if I showed up there. I'd, I'd have an easier time, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ryan, that was one of my other questions. Is because um, that was number two, and it's funny how God works like that. That God um, put on your heart to say that is, um, can they work off their fines? And here you are saying it's almost a catch twenty two. If they don't, because you are saying if they don't complete that work program, then they're looking at jail time. Is that pretty much correct? Yeah. So the the volunteer work service in lieu of fines would be sort of treated as a condition of probation. And they would get some kind of proof date, probably to the business office, where you would need to have completed your volunteer work service, brought in a letter from wherever you did it on letterhead saying, you know, Pastor Simon was here. He did 40 hours of volunteer work service. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, that kind of stuff. And it would need to go into the court file on or before whatever date you were given. You just It's not just sort of do volunteer work in your life. It's it, There's a very distinct date. And if that date passes and it's not done, a warrant's just going to go out. No one's going to call you. You're not going to get a letter in the mail. Also, if you're homeless, you're never getting a letter in the mail. But that aside, your warrant's just going to go out and you will have a random police contact because as you know, and as uh, experience has taught me, law enforcement and the homeless, they spend a lot of time together. So you're going to have a police contact and it's going to be up to the officer whether or not you're going in on that warrant. And because of COVID-19, you're seeing less of this because they've made an effort to keep the jail population lower due to the fact that the pandemic easily transmissible, um, but it's not a, it's not perfect. And prior to COVID, you would absolutely people see people in custody for failing to complete very small conditions of probation. But I'm you, 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 the alternative is what, you know, like the police officers, like there's a warrant, like, what can we do? Our hands are tied. So I understand it from there angle. It's not their job to suss out, like, is this a good warrant? Is this worth arresting the person over? That's that's what we in the courts do. And as the separation of powers dictates that we handle that stuff. And so those individuals will go to jail. They'll spend a few days in jail. We'll get them in front of a judge and we'll deal with it because very few people have the money to bail out, even if the bail is nominal. And I'm talking like 20 bucks. Most Some people wow. can't bail out. You know, Ryan, I'm so glad you bring that up to the audience because these answer some of the questions because a lot of people just think, well, you know what, if they can't pay the fine, let's just go to work. So now we kind of understand what we see through the courts, and we're thankful that you're sharing this with us because it really opens my eyes, and I deal with it all the time with you in that. So, um, Blaine, I know that you're sitting there with the question you want to ask Ryan here, so I'll let you go ahead, and then I'll come back with Ryan with another question from the audience. You know, again, um, thank you for being here, and and, you know, it, it's fun, John, as we get to hang out, you know, weekly, sometimes daily. Um, really enjoying hanging out with Ryan and getting this other take. Um, but I want to add, I, my question was, when they have that warrant and they do go, they go to the holding tank. Is that, is that right, John? Yeah, they, I believe they take them down into custody, Ryan, and then they come before you into the courts down in the holding tanks down in. Yeah, so if a person, let's say, was picked up in El Cajon, let's say was arrested in front of the courthouse. 
uh, they would take him down to central jail, process them into custody, and then they would get a, a court date. If it's an arraignment, it's usually within 72 hours of their arrest. There's some things going on right now with the pandemic that's extended that. But let's just talk about normal circumstances. And if it's an appearance on a warrant, they would get a court date usually within a few days of their arrest. So they would spend a few days in custody before we got them to court. Then they'd be produced on the holding tank and I'd finally get a chance to talk to them. And so my question, and I know the I'm just dying to know, but I do remember you've been down in that holding tank and I was cleared by the sheriffs to get down there before um, COVID hit. And I'm very anxious. I'd love to get down there and talk to some of these guys. But um, at what point did John, so this message, this question really is for John. At what point in time when, when the guys, the warrants happened, they're, they're, they went to you know, jail where you've been, and now they're in the, they're in the holding tank for, for their court appearance, who calls you and how do you get the opportunity to go down and share with them on their, um, basically their choices? It's a good question, Blaine, and thank you for asking. What happens is that I get to work with the privilege. I, I'm very privileged to work with the public defenders. I work with the numerous there, and especially with Ryan here. And Ryan will reach out and say, hey, John, we have this uh, such and such of a client that we need your help, and would you be able to help us? Um, in some cases, I'm usually sometimes down at the courts and doing with another case down there. And so um, we did get our clearance with the sheriffs to go through there because you have to be cleared. Mm-hmm. And because they just don't let the doors open for anybody down right. there because I can definitely see the safety. But um, I get to work with uh, Ryan or the public defender at that time. And then we come up with the best strategy plan I for their for them that would help them and not keep them from, you know, like what Ryan says of a catch-22 mm-hmm. where they, you know, can't work off their fine or that, something that's going to really work for them. May it be that um, maybe the DA is looking at incarceration time and maybe we can bring in a, a program instead of doing incarceration that they can get the help that they can need and so we can take care of that. Um, or then or if, if it may be um, – if it's just a small case, maybe we can get them out or work with them to get them off the streets. And that's the whole thing about working with the public defenders. It's about trying. It's about what we're going to do after they get out. It's yeah. you know, and finding them a place. But Ryan, you can speak more of that than um, what what I can. Well, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Yes, if, in that scenario, that's a, someone would reach out. We all got to know Pastor John really well. Everyone has his cell phone number, and he's been such a fixture in the community, especially doing outreach with the homeless who unfortunately become our clients so many times. And so it's easy to uh, get a hold of Pastor John, have him come down there, speak to this individual while they're in custody, and it provides mitigation for the courts and for the district attorney's office that we have a, a plan in place. Um, you know, as as you know, people promote and this and that, we sort of lose that institutional knowledge, us and the DA. So we have new people on our team. They have new people on their team. And sort of one of the blessings of uh, the, the shakeup and the changes in the last year is that everyone will get to learn the value of Pastor John all over again when we come back to more normal court proceedings because um, they're new and we're fairly new, some of our teammates, and they'll learn what a resource that you are and the good works that you do is and how much you can help everybody, I mean, all sides involved. Um, I just want to take a quick second to say that I think the one drawback, I, I suppose, in you and I's conversation and in this scenario is that it's just a shame that these people have to go through the legal system in order to get this kind of help. I, I know you do tremendous outreach and you do a great job out there, you know, pounding the pavement. But in order to get sort of my help or in order to, I mean, I was 
you know, trained to litigate, not, you know, not to be a social worker. And it's, it's kind of a shame that these doors only open once somebody's handcuffed to a bench wearing someone else's underwear. I mean, it's at, at some point in time, I think to myself, like this should not be the key that unlocks these doors. You know, I, I would love to see more substantial outreach more. I, 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 I want to see some uh, scenario where an individual can get long-term supportive housing, job training, education, and we can rebuild this individual. And regardless of age, you know, we have young people. I mean, I've seen kids as young as 18 who have mm-hmm. been, who have left some, you know, really bad environment somewhere back East. And they didn't come to San Diego on purpose. They just sort of ended up here. And now they're now they're on the recidivism merry-go-round. Maybe they're committing new crimes. Maybe they're being picked up on warrants for old crimes. Maybe it's something as simple as just illegal lodgings. But they there's an opportunity here to rebuild these people back into functioning members of our society and job training, education. It would require significant uh, sort of mentorship, handholding. But that's what I believe would be the longest-term solution to at least some of the challenges that we face. You know, Ryan, that's what Cornerstone Transitional Housing is trying to do. We're trying to get ourselves a building so that we can house them and work with them, especially coming out of the courts. We, you know, we deal a lot where you say, hey, John, we got a guy coming out or a lady that's coming out at, you know, they don't let them out at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock. It's usually around 12 or yeah, 1 or 2. Between, yeah, <laughs> yeah seven you know, late People's night. family asks me that all the time. Like, when's he getting out? It's like, hey, the best they can tell me is sometimes between 7 and midnight. They're like, 7 and midnight? <laughs> yeah, that's a true. So that's what we're trying to build up and get um, that housing so that we can start working directly with, with helping through the court side, too, and also out on the streets. We know what we had day with Gina, and she was homeless, and we have a lot of homeless that are saying, God, I just wish you had a program. And I said, well, I can get you into a program, and they're just really reluctant to go into that program of what they've heard or they've been through it. So it's not to say that any the program's bad. It's just everybody has to have their certain program. And that's what's hard for us is to make sure that we set them in the right program because I don't want to send them up for failure. Oh, sure. You, you know, so and that's not what I want to do. So, um, you know, Ryan, I'm so glad that you, you know that um, that's been brought up because that's one of the downfalls that we don't have out there is a lot of sheltering. We, you know, we you just don't have that. So, um, Blaine, I'll let you go ahead with another question if you have one. And yeah, if- thank you very much. You know, we have barely, you guys, we have barely talked about incarceration. I know last week when we had Ryan here that um, we started going, uh, we, we talked a little bit. Ryan shared a little bit of the different expenses that are involved. So, and I know we could spend a whole radio show just talking about that. Um, not only the time for our law enforcement officers, what they spend with, with the folks on the streets, um, but the court system, everything that's involved here, it would it would be hard to put a, um, a, a price tag on that. But I, I really think that we need to get involved a little bit about the alternatives because once you get the call, you're down there, you know, and you're sharing with people and saying, hey, you've got this coming up. I believe you've been able to share with many to say you've got this option or you could go with um, – say, some public, some public time out on the streets working or even going into a program. So, you know, we do have the programs here in San Diego that you've recommended. Um, but, of course, our thoughts are not every individual fits that program. And I know for Cornerstone, we're looking for we want to add a program. Absolutely. Because you know, you're dealing directly with these folks, you and I, on the streets. 
and in the jails, and you're talking with the public defenders, I, I, I believe we have a heart. You know, we, we, we have a heart for these folks, and we praise Jesus for that because he gave us that heart. And I know later on I want to talk about having compassion on folks if I have time. Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to do that now. But um, it just seems like the alternative would be let's not spend all this money. Let's see, let's see what Pastor John can do. You, you go talk to him. You know, Ryan, um, that's a good question. You know, um, you know what we're I know exactly what Blaine's saying is because we got to deal with that out there and work with people and and um, trying to get him to the program. But I know that I just want you to speak from your heart and what you know and what you think. You know, because I know that um, what I'm trying to say is, Ryan, I want to give you this time because I know um, we've been hitting you with questions. If there's anything you would like to say. Yeah, thanks for this opportunity. I just think I just want the listeners to know that there's there is good people doing good works like Pastor John. Um, there are some things that even I'm not re- equipped very well to deal with, like the significant degree of mental health issues that I see. Yeah. Um, most mental health issues have co-occurring substance abuse issues. One does not necessarily predicate the other, but I don't know why they almost always exist at the same time. That's a question for a doctor. Um, but the the lack of reliable, locatable mental health services really is a detriment because you have people that are not functioning. It's not it's not that it's not the product of a moral failing. Um, and some people have suffered traumatic brain injuries, and there's no amount of medication or treatment they're never coming back. And so they are non-functioning forever. And these are the guys, either they're catatonic in a doorway of a shop or they're screaming at a, a light fixture. I mean, they're, they're just never coming back. And we need a, a way to treat these people with more compassion and to find some reliable alternative than a concrete box because this is not making anything better. Um, if we could just take a step into more compassion in the mental health arena, I was not trained like that. I did not go to school for that. Um, the police probably didn't either. And yet in, we're all forced into this arena where we're dealing with these very complex issues that would much be much better handled by someone, you know, with substantial training and experience, not, you know, not, not myself and probably not law enforcement. We do a, we do a better job than we used to taking care of our veterans Government uh, programs tend to be heavily impacted, and it's just there's just a huge volume there. Uh, you run through the scenario where you find older vets, like the Vietnam era vets. The, these guys tend to be more washed out and broken. They are just that's just the only way I can describe them. They're just tired, especially if they've dealt with homeless for homelessness for going on forty years. Yeah. Um, the our more recent vets, they tend to be you know. Not so young anymore. I mean, some of these guys would have went to war, you know, twenty years ago now. So they're not so young. They're probably about my age, mm-hmm. and uh, they tend to be angry. They 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 feel that they've been failed by the system, and they can't get the help that they were promised. They have lasting injuries or mental health complications because of their service, and I find that they tend to be more resentful. They they definitely are less trustworthy of uh, like they're less willing to trust me. I'm just like another person selling them a line so if we could do more for the veteran population uh, those those two groups i think deserve uh a lot of help and they need uh, more help than your standard uh individual who maybe just had a run of bad luck you know ryan i'm so glad you brought that up Uh, mental health issues out there are really big issues i know that we sent our our crew to mental health the first aid and just so that people be aware of who 
because a lot of people think that they're on drugs and they're mentally challenged there. So um, I just want to give a shout out to, you know, for the vets out there, too. Mm-hmm. Here they served our country and, you know, and they're in times of hard needs, too. So I can definitely see the both of them because we deal a lot with that. So um, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is a big topic. That's another topic that, that kind of, we can go into another show all on its own. Um, so I think that needs to be really – I'm glad that you addressed that out there yeah. to the public. I really do. So I know our time is running out. Gosh, the time has just gone by so quick. And um, I just wanted to say thank you for all of our sponsors out there. I want to give a shout-out to Goodwill again and tell them thank you for the clothing that they help us with. I want to give um, Javier over sombreros. I tell them thank you for the burritos that they help us out and and feeding with the homeless. And I just want to say we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are here to help to break the cycle of homelessness. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you want to donate to us, please give us a, a call. That number would be 619-715-6915, or you can go on to cornerstonetransitionalhousing.org and donate that way. Again, our number is 619-715-6915. I also would like to let the people know out there that El Cajon Wesleyan Church is going to have a craft fair, and it will be on September 4th from 9 to 3, and they're looking for crafters. So if anybody would like to get a hold of them, they're more than welcome. Their number is 619-440-4452. They can talk with Tammy or Lynn. And I want to thank El Cajon Church, uh, Stephen Forsyth, for helping us out to do the homeless outreach, too. They're very, I, we really appreciate them helping us. Folks, I hope you enjoy a pro, uh, the program tonight with Ryan. Um, God, Ryan, I really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much. Blaine, I know we didn't get your scripture, but maybe next week we can. Right. Ryan, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks again for having me, John. Thank you for joining us on Cornerstone Radio with Pastor John, Pastor Ed, and Blaine Nurse, where they encourage you to think big and act bigger. Join us again next week at this same time as we work together to break the cycle of homelessness, restore hope, and help men and women regain control of their lives. Your generosity, philanthropy, and charitable contributions are always welcome and remarkably make a positive impact on the lives of those in need every day. Take part in making a difference by visiting cornerstonetransitionalhousing.org. That's cornerstonetransitionalhousing.org. This has been Cornerstone Radio with Pastor John, Pastor Ed, and Blaine Nurse on KPraise 103.7.